Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Kevin Maynard, Executive Director of Quad City Arts. And as always, I'm joined with my friends and fellow pod squad, Brian. Hey, Kevin. Brian Zelmer from KU Presents. Danielle. Hey, it's Danielle Van Hook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia. Josh. Josh Benson, rocking it from Marion, Illinois at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. And finally, Katie. Hey, everyone. Katie Miller at the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. Before we jump into this week's conversation, I thought we would talk about every theater person's favorite topic, uh, mishaps on stage. So do any of you have one that you maybe were involved with or maybe at your venue? One of my favorites was from high school. He thought it was a good idea to actually put tiki torches around the stage and actually light them with like oil in them. And of course, one gets bumped and like oil spills on the stage and ignites. And so there's a big fire. But the kid that's playing Vince Fontaine storms off the stage and starts cussing the director backstage with still having a hot mic and like dropping F-bombs left and right. And it's during a performance and the principal and the superintendent are both in the audience. And I still look back on that and think of it with so much laughter and so fondly (laughs) to the disaster that almost happened with burning down a school with the theater production, but uh, limiting it to, you know, actually somebody running out on a stage with a fire extinguisher and putting it all out. Just the spectacle with high school production some of the time of just absolute nightmare stuff. Similar hot mic moment. Uh, I was in a production of Anything Goes in high school, and I was sitting in the audience because I was not on stage during whatever scene it was. And uh, one of the leads was not to be found backstage. Couldn't find him in the odd. He was late for his cue and everyone's calling for him. And all of a sudden you hear flush. And we all knew exactly <laughs> where he was. And about 15 seconds later, he strokes, you know, strolls onto stage. Uh completely oblivious to the fact that he had missed his cue and everyone knew he was in the restroom. So that was toilet paper trailing from his foot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been involved in two shows where somebody split their pants. It's never not funny. (laughs) And it's never been me, which is why I can say that. I was in uh, college performing in a two-person, one-act show called Joe and Stu's Theater of Brotherly Love and Financial Success about two cockroaches that are living in a theater after the the apocalypse. And we got halfway through the act, and all of a sudden my brain went into what a lot of my Broadway performer friends call the white room. And that's where all you see is white. Like you can't, you can't think of any thoughts. You don't think of any words or, or there's no visual cues. Like you're just everything in your brain is gone. And it was terrifying because I had nothing, no little nugget or anything that I could take from. And my partner who was playing the other role looked at me and I could see instead of saving the day, he went into my eyes and also jumped into the white room. And the two of us were just standing there. (laughs) Like it was so awkward and so awful. And honestly, I don't even, I blanked out whatever happened after that but somehow we had some horrible ad-libbing and then eventually got back into the middle of the show but it it was a very very awkward moment one of my first community theater productions i was in our town um and so i was playing george there's a scene where he's having a conversation with his father and they're sitting at this table and they're talking and it's just the two people on stage and it's opening night and not 10 seconds into the scene that should be two minutes long. The guy who's playing my dad has completely forgotten his lines. And he just looks at his watch that he's not wearing and goes, uh, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> just walked off stage. <laughs> well, that's one way to make an exit. <laughs> that's how I'm going to start leaving me. I, I gotta go. Only if you're not wearing a watch. Uh, this week, I had an opportunity to sit down with Adia Morris-Swanger, who had an interesting mishap on stage that she shares. Um, I recently met Adia while becoming a facilitator for Springboard for the Arts Work of Art program, which is a program that I absolutely love. And I think it's really incredible work that they're providing at Springboard. Uh, but for those who may not know Springboard for the Arts, they are out of Minneapolis with a couple other auxiliary locations. And they're doing some really incredible things um, regarding professional development for 
both individual artists and artist organizations, and really providing an opportunity to do comprehensive studies on business skills for artists and income inequality. So they've got some really great stuff on their website, which we will link in the show notes below. Uh, So I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Adia as much as I did having it. Adia Morris-Swanger, Program Manager, Professional Development at Springboard for the Arts, also a theater artist and a parent. Adia, thanks for joining me here today. First, before we dive into kind of the things you're doing with Springboard, we always like to talk about how people got to where they are and, you know, what drew them to the arts. So what was that introduction to the arts and led you on the path you're on today? That's a good question. I think I, I can credit my parents with this. As often as they could, they took me to see things out in the community. I remember going to, I think, Nutcracker on Ice Mm. when I was maybe like under 10, I think. And so I just remember sitting forward on my seat uh, and resting my chin on the back of the seat in front of me because I was super into it. They always thought my sister would be the actor because she was way more dramatic than me. (laughs) Um, I'm an introvert most of the time. But I think that going to see cultural events and seeing that, and then also whenever I did a production with school, um, really actually feeling a sense of ease and being at home Mm -hmm. on stage or up in front of people, even in speech class, like just like, because everybody always had this idea of me as being very shy. And (laughs) it's just because I didn't say anything. (laughs) So I think that that and especially in high school like feeling that sense of ease being in front of an audience like not necessarily one-on-one like talking mm. to people theater especially in college continuing on because it was fun and i felt a sense of community there so the decision to go into the arts after college <laughs> oh, some days i'm like why <laughs> why did i do that but I, being that I ask myself every year, like, do I want to keep doing this? The answer is always yes, because I feel like, especially with theater, I mean, I love a good story. Like, I just love storytelling in general. But especially with theater and now mostly working with young people, not performing as much myself, I think it's so powerful. It's a gift to be able to work in that kind of way. It teaches you to be collaborative, teaches you to be a problem solver. It's mm-hmm. like you can't look to somebody else to, to make it happen. At, at a certain point, yes, there's a director, choreographer, whatever, mm-hmm. but at a certain point, you all have to figure it out together. And I I think that's a, a huge gift. I think their your listening skills improve as a theater artist. Mm-hmm. Um, your perception, like your ability to read uh, a situation, um, how people are feeling and thinking, because these are the things that you need to do in order to be an actor. Working behind the scenes as well, like working as a team, communicating your ability to anticipate needs, like to see what's coming next uh, mm-hmm. or what could possibly come next, whether you're on stage, backstage, wherever it's like, oh, somebody left uh, you know, a prop on stage that's needed in <laughs> you know, like another act and like how, how are we going to like, Figuring out together how they're going to solve that. Sometimes a mice jump on stage. <laughs> this just happened to me. I was going to say, I was like, sounds like there's a story there. <laughs> yeah. 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 A mouse jumped on stage in the production multiple times that, that year. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're supposed to be in this rich house. Uh, like, super wealthy people, and they got mice. <laughs> Anyway, that I would say that it's it's not any one thing. Like I don't know that there's mm-hmm. any one thing. I think that it's kind of a slow unfolding of how useful the arts are to just living a very rich life. Sometimes mm-hmm. I envy people like my sister who have one jump. Oh my god! <laughs> but then I'm like, like oh, how would that be? <laughs> I just went home. Um, but then I remember, like I have all of these fantastic memories. Uh, and relationships because of the arts. So that's why I keep doing it. I, there's so many things that, that I, I, I want to touch on and, and dive into real quick. Going back to sort of towards the beginning, you mentioned that you are an introvert, um, but you do feel at home on stage. And so I think one that's fascinating, but mostly probably not for the reason you're thinking, but it's because I'm also an introvert and I also love performing. And so you saying that you feel at home on stage is, I think, exactly why I do it. But I also know that one, it terrifies me before I take that first step out. I still oh, yeah. get crazy amounts of stage fright. <laughs> 
Yes. But then two, I am exhausted afterwards. Like it for, I know a lot of people like it, it gives them a lot of energy, but like it, it zaps me. So I'm wondering, is that the same for you? Yeah. I I mean, I get a boost like right after the show, but then I go home and it's like, yeah, I just (laughs) pass. And it depends on the the group. Like it depends on the show. Like my Mm. last experience cast, the script, the director, everything about that show was perfect to me. Mm. Um, if it's a show that I don't name any names, but if there's a show that I'm not enjoying as much yet, then I'm like, bye. And I go home <laughs> and I crash. I crash. Yeah, it is ultimately exhausting. I think my exhaustion curve is a slower. I think that when the production ends, then I go into the depression mode mm. where I'm like, I just want to curl up at home and not talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, that- that makes sense. Yeah. But do you, I mean, is there, is there a particular reason or something that you can pinpoint as to like why you feel home in that environment? I thought, yeah, it's not about that. It's just I'm able to put on something of a persona, like when I post uh, events as well, and able to put on something of a persona. Um, it's still me. Like I had this conversation with a friend in New York who is not an actor. And I don't know what we were talking about, but somehow we got to like red carpet house. And she was like, I don't know how people do that. And I'm like, oh, it's easy. And I just bang, turned it on and she was like, oh my God. Because <laughs> uh, it was different than how I just walk around in the world. Yeah. But, I mean, I still consider it to be me, but I'm able to like put it on like a coat or a costume mm-hmm. and then I take it off. Like mm-hmm. when I'm, I'm not in that mode, like I would say I'm in that mode right now in, yeah. in, in some ways. So having the ability to take it on and, and, and take it off, I think is helpful because it's not an expectation for myself that I'm always going to have to be that way and generate that level of energy. Mm-hmm. It's it I like to get in and get out. <laughs> and then I go <laughs> home and I just bitty watch something on TV. I know people who are like that all the time and I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I can't yeah. I can crank it up for a short amount of time. Yeah. Being able to, to take it off, I think is freeing. Because I know yeah. it's a finite amount of time. Yeah, I mean even when I'm doing those work of art trainings, it's mm-hmm. like the end of those days I am definitely way more trained. Yeah. Than, than a normal day. So the other things you talked about are, you know, almost being jealous of your sister for having, you know, that the having one job. I always think about that as well in that I technically do have one job, but there's like, you know, a lot of different events that we go to, a lot of different things that we host and, you know, all those kind of things. And there are those moments where it's like, man, what's it like to have a nine to five where, right? you know, you're just, you go home. And I think there was... It was probably like the first month of the the pandemic, first couple of months where I was like, oh, this is what it's like. Like this is right, right. I kinda yeah. I kinda like this. And then, mm-hmm. you know, started to get a bit stir crazy and go, that's right. Like there's also yeah. then there's also super rewarding aspects to, you know, going to some of these events, seeing the things that you've been able to yeah. put together and pull off. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah, those first months of the pandemic. I mean, not much changed for us because we were head deep into toddler land. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> it was like we had a just turned two-year-old and so like the days were very much the same as they were before we were just <laughs> at home <laughs> like we always were but yeah like that after a few months it was like oh yeah i'm not doing anything extra there's no extra um and some days i think yeah maybe i should stop doing this extra thing but then then i and i would miss it I, yeah i would I'm in a rehearsal process right now, finishing up tonight. And every time that I'm there, I'm like, I have missed this so much. <laughs> I, I really have. I just love getting together with a group of people and making that thing. It's, yeah, it's, there's nothing like it. What was the connection and what led you to Springboard? Um, it's kind of a fun story. Like little, little stops along the way. Mm-hmm. I was aware of Springboard uh, only about the job board when I first mm-hmm. Um, we came back to town after college and was looking for work. And he's like, you should check out Springboard's job board. And for many years, that's all I knew of the organization. Um, and then I met uh, Molly Chase, who had worked at, I met her as we were both on an advisory board for a local uh, youth theater company. We ended up talking after that first time that we met. We stood on the corner, like outside, just standing and talking because she worked at Cartoon Network uh, prior to moving to the Gen Cities. And I was like, oh, tell me all about that. It's fully, like, it's cool now, but like, <laughs> it wasn't cool to like be an adult and watch cartoons um, <laughs> before like the last 10, 15 years or so. But yeah, I just, I grilled her and then we just hit it off. And she ended up working at Springboard 
uh, for a while as a managing director. She somehow, I think she was just mentioning my name. You know, she's one of those people that I uh, credit with like a lot of my career moves in the last mm. few years because uh, she's one of those people that just like mentions your name. And I try to do that for other people too, as often as I can. Like, uh, so-and-so would be great. I ended up applying for a job. I did not get it. <laughs> but then they thought of me for a video series that they were doing on helping artists access healthcare when my ACA first got. And so I was the host for like six videos of theirs, I think. You can still find them. The assister on uh, Springboard's YouTube channel. Did not have gray hair then. I'm still dying it. I did those. And then I did a voiceover for something related to it. Still springboard, still not an employee. And then uh, Laura's husband, Levi, was at the time working at Twin Cities PBS. They were piloting a new show, a new arts program, and they needed a host. And so I think Laura mentioned to Levi, Adia's done all this stuff for us, like we should bring her in. And so I went in, never hosted a TV show before, but I was like, yeah, I can do that. They liked me. And I ended up hosting two seasons of that. But Springboard was one of the organizations that was featured on that show. So I got to get to know them a little bit more through that process. And then when another job came up, I applied for that. And then I came on staff then, working on the bookkeeping and accounting and the incubator fiscal sponsorship program. And oh, somewhere in between there. Again, Molly recommended me to teach the work of art workshops. Mm. I did that before I came on staff. At what point did you start working more as program director and, and yeah. focus more on the, the work of art programs and things like that? I want to say 2019. We, in 2018, we started talking about one of the things that I do is manage the artist group consultant roster. In 20, prior to 2019, had five, six people, three of whom were on staff and three of whom were workshop facilitators or long term artist career consultants. And around 2018, we started talking about expanding the roster to uh, cover disciplines that we didn't have uh, represented there and also cover geographic and community areas that we didn't have. The question came up of like, okay, who's gonna, who's gonna do it? <laughs> who's gonna handle this work? And I was like, was looking around waiting for somebody else to raise their hand. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. That was kind of the first foray into the professional development mm -hmm. side. When the long-term professional development director left, uh, Noah Kiesecker, his legacy lives on in many ways. When he left, uh, there was then, you know, a void of like, okay, who's going to handle the professional development program? That's when they asked me. So somewhere around 2019, 2020. Obviously, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is Springboard's work of art program. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't heard of it, um, how would you describe it and, and talk yeah, about it? Yeah, like the short blurb version is uh, <laughs> the work of art, business skills for artists. Uh, workbook is a 12-part curriculum designed to help artists uh, understand the basics of the business side of their artistic career, their uh, creative entrepreneurship. We cover the things that, I mean, I don't always use this because I don't want to denigrate like art school or anything, but we cover a lot of the mm. things that, that don't get covered. So many times that folks either go into formal training or they just jump into it themselves, they focus on the creative side of the work, making sure they're like their craft, the work that they do is you know, as mm -hmm. high quality as they can get at the time. But the business side of like, how do I actually run a small business uh, as a single business owner? It, it never gets addressed in a formal setting. And so I think that's mm -hmm. where these workshops grew out of can is to, to help address artists understand like I am running a small business. These workshops are there to help them get the basics on that. I love that. That's something that, that we talk about all yeah. the time. Artists are small businesses and the things that sometimes get missed in just really most schools is, you know, marketing of yeah. yourself. You know, I always tell this story, like when I graduated from college, I, my, my degrees in mm -hmm. accounting. So I had a lot of my artist friends were calling me like, how do I do my taxes? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do I do with this now that, you know, not a traditional W-2 employee. Right. So, yeah. So it gets more complicated. Yeah. And a lot of us learn, you know, trial by fire. We got, I remember yeah. like when I actually did start doing a lot of work, like going gig to gig and having like some W-2s, like sometimes I was paid to payroll, like they were seeing the video, video sheet. Sometimes it was 1099s from my agent. <laughs> it was like cobbling all of that together and 
TurboTax is okay. Like I managed yeah, for many years yeah. <laughs> just on TurboTax, but knowing what to write off, like it was for me, it was a crash course. And I wish that I had known about the work of art workshops when I was doing stuff in those early days. And I was really uh, an independent contractor and freelance in like 90% of the time. So what I think is really incredible about the work of our programs, it's twofold. Like one, people can sign up to, to do these for free through Springboard. Yeah. What I think is else is pretty incredible is that if they can't sign up, that they can download the workbook for free from Springboard. For most people, it may sound a little crazy. Um, so I'm curious, like, what was the reasoning behind that for Springboard? And, you know, when obviously, I mean, I think it's something that people would, would be willing to pay for. So I'm curious what led that. Yeah, there was early on when the toolkit was being put together around 2014, 2015, there was discussion among staff and Laura, this is the story that Laura, our executive director will often tell, so copying Laura's story, is that staff and board, I think, like, well, what are we doing? You know, are we flowering and they use donuts as a metaphor, like, are we selling the recipe for donuts? Are we giving away donuts? Like, what are we doing? And ultimately the decision was like, we're getting away the recipe for donuts for free. Cause we used to charge for workshops. We did used to do that. But I think that the decision to make the information free was part of the, the ethos of the organization. It, there was sort of a sea change, um, I think when Laura came on and Carl as well, just about wanting to make access one of the guiding principles of the organization and making sure that artists got what they needed with as few hurdles and barriers as possible, which is still something that we work toward and want to do. When they started rolling out these how to do X, Y, and Z toolkits in 2016 and on. That was just the, that's like, this is how we're going to do it. And the workshops followed shortly thereafter. The libraries helped with legacy funding The here in the state of Minnesota. There's, a, there's an amendment that says that uh, natural resources and the arts and culture are going to be funded through sales tax. Uh, in the state forever and ever. Amen. And it's great. Uh, it's great to have that because the library system often uses that funding to bring in workshops from Springboard and others that they might not otherwise be able to do. It also, I think, comes out of like the internet, like information wants to be free uh, sort of philosophy of like, this is stuff that we don't own necessarily. Like this is wisdom that's been gathered to workshops through research. And so trying to profit off of it doesn't feel quite right to me. It feels like there's enough out there that people are trying to extract income from people, that this is something that should just be shared and available. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the different courses or maybe to highlight a, a few of them that you think are maybe, I don't know, your favorites yeah. or the most beneficial? Career planning is super fun, <laughs> mostly because you get to just dream a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. You don't actually have to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do eventually have to like take steps, but I find mm -hmm. that career planning is really fun because I like staying in the dreaming phase, thinking about like, well, what do we want to happen and figuring out the goals for the individual as opposed to like, this is what I think an earth career should look like. It's like, well, what do I, mm -hmm. what are the unique circumstances of my life that stay that lead me to thinking of a definition of success that works for me. I like that one. Portfolio kit's a lot of fun. That one I think is fun because folks actually get a chance to workshop their artist state ball and really talk through it with their peers. I don't know that we always have that opportunity. Yeah, we may get together with friends, but it's not always in that kind of setting where people are going to give us critical feedback and everybody's there to help each other. That exists in some forms, but not, not in any regular fashion for a lot of us. I like taking that one. I think that legal considerations is kind of fun. <laughs> Not everybody's favorite topic. When I took it, I remember when I was training, like part of our training is observation. But when I took it, I remember being really surprised at how the my mentality about it flipped. Before mm -hmm. it was always like, oh, I'm afraid that I'm going to do something wrong or I'm afraid someone's going to do something wrong to me. And the way that that workshop works is to focus on the, the right a creative individual enjoys as the, the author of creative work and how copyright was originally intended to help creatives and not, and not help them. I think that that's really powerful to be able to, to flip your mindset about, about legal issues and just taking your power back as a, as a creative, mm -hmm. uh, being not intimidated by contracts or engaging you know, an attorney. I think these are useful skills. Anything that makes us feel less terrified <laughs> is, is, a, is a, a great thing. I found it to be like, not as like, cause I don't, 
I guess I wouldn't always describe myself as an artist, um, but I think just as like a person with a career, there were a lot of like really great tidbits in there. I mean, the career planning one I thought was really great. Um, Even like time management. I can also see the benefits of the workbook. Like um, obviously like there's great benefits of workbook. What I mean is like benefits is that it's, it's been sort of laid out in a way that if you can't make it to those workshops, you could work through it. The workshops definitely help by giving you like examples of how some of those exercises work. But I like that it's it's all there yeah. um, for the general public. Yeah, that was one of my goals with the 2020 rewrite is that there were a few units that it felt like if I was doing this on my own, like pricing, pricing work, if I was mm-hmm. doing this on my own, I would be lost. I wouldn't know where to begin. So one of my goals for 20, the 2020 version was to make it so that it sounded like somebody was talking to me, like talking me mm. through this as I worked through it. That was the, that, I'm glad to know that that, that happened. I'm glad to know that then goal yeah. was achieved. <laughs> so sort of taking a step back from Springboard because you described yourself as a, a few different ways, um, but you are an actor and choreographer uh, and as well as a yeah. mother. How do you balance those, I would say, almost like three lifestyles um, or three main main aspects of your life. And then how does that work even, you know, balancing just a job and then, you know, the, the creative side? Yeah. I think about this a lot and I'm always thinking that I'm neglecting someone or something. I mean, the nice thing about work, I mean, I know we're not taking a step back from Springboard, but the nice thing about working at Springboard is the understanding that we're all artists, that we all have some kind of creative pursuit. Mm-hmm. And so the there is space and time allowed for that. If I was working, you know, at Ameriprise, <laughs> you know, I, might not, I might not be able to do it, um, at least not as an actor. I think that, you know, not everybody, there's a good portion of theater people on staff here. The visual artists, I think have a slightly easier time like fitting their practice around a job or other responsibilities. Mm. But theater is very demanding of physical presence. So working here helps. There's a ton of flexibility for that. The other piece is like help. <laughs> my partner, my husband is, he's also an artist. He's a uh, piano, uh, he's a master's in piano and uh, he teaches piano as well. So there's an understanding with with between us of like making space for our creative pursuits uh, and supporting the other person with like you know, childcare, food, taking over the cleaning, mm. et cetera, knowing that they're going to be, it's not going to be all the time, but they're going to be these, these ebbs and flows where one person's just going to have to do more and being yeah. okay with that. And then I would say for the parenting piece, um, I try to, I, I remember reading, I, I read a lot of parenting stuff, maybe too much. But the quality of the time is more important than the quantity. And so I try, I'm not always good at it, but I try and just focus on my child when I'm with him and have at least 20 minutes where it's like, I'm not looking at my phone. He's not on a, a device. I'm not on a device. We're just looking at each other and talking and connecting. And I try to lean on that and I'll find out, you know, in 20 years, whether it was successful or not, I, I won't hold it against him or myself if he's in therapy. <laughs> but I also tried Brigham sometimes when I was, when he was really small and I was working on choreography and just put him in the sling. I used to teach at a camp, a sleepaway camp for theater kids. And he came three years in a row. I just, obviously my husband was there to take care of him when I couldn't, but I try to involve him. I think that he came last night to rehearsal for part of it. And then my mom came and picked him up. I just want him to, I, I try to make him a part of everything. If that makes any sense, mm. like it was kind of a decision that I just made internally that when I became a parent, then that is now part of my identity and I'm not mm. going to make my children disappear uh, when I'm at work because that's like, they don't. <laughs> it's like, and the pandemic helped. Like everybody's got this understanding that childcare is a real thing that has to happen. And our children are part of our lives and they're not going anywhere. They don't vanish when we're at work. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make my child as visible as possible. So people understand like <laughs> what the realities of my life are like. And I think it's helped. Yeah. I think that folks, again, that it's, it's nice to work here, but I think even in other places, like everybody's super accommodating. They understand, they get it, don't always have childcare. It's, I don't know that there's a balance. I don't know who it was. 
It was a film director. I want to say Nora Ephraim, but I'm not sure if that's right. But I remember reading like, it's like, not spinning plates, but some, you're juggling something and sometimes some balls mm-hmm. fall. Um, and some balls are made of glass and some are made of plastic and some are made of rubber. You like stumbled off back, some will crash and break if you drop them. And then uh, some are a little more flexible. But at different times, uh, our family relationships, our work relationships, whatever, our artistic practice, at different times, they're made of different materials. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the kids are rubber and sometimes they're glass. And, and when we have to pay attention to the glass objects, I think I'm mangling this whole metaphor. <laughs> I know. I, I actually think you were, you were spot on. I, I was just thinking in my head. I was like, I, I, I love yeah. that. Like, I think that that is in my mind, a way better way to think of like work-life balance <laughs> is that juggling metaphor. But you are right. Is that sometimes in my personal life, like I know that, you know, sometimes I really need to focus on getting something done That's at work fair. and that might mean working really late, but it, you know, but at other times, like my family is, is the most important yeah. thing. And so need to be present for, for that. So no, I, I think you were, you were spot on. But like sometimes things, you know, they change uh, materials. Like sometimes the kids will bounce, they're fine, you know, and other things are really yeah. going to be really important to that relationship yeah. with the partner. If you have one, sometimes they're, they'll mm-hmm. be fine. And other times there's like, you have to put the other stuff down. So I try not to like balance them perfectly all the time, but just understand that they're things are going to change. I like that. I, I really, really like that. I also really like that you do take your your son to all those different things. Um, one of the things is that I try to encourage my friends and family with children is to bring them to arts Before. events and bring them to things like that because. I mean, exposure to the arts is is incredibly yeah. huge. Um, and it, even at the beginning of this conversation, you were talking about the cool things about working in theater and being a theater artist is noticing that that empathy yeah. and you know um, being able to read a situation. And as I'm sure you're aware, like studies show, the same goes for people who go to okay. theater events. Yeah. Um, so like those are super important. So like I always tell people like bring your yeah. kids like bring them to the gallery. Like we want to see them in here to check out things and ask questions and, yeah. and experience that. My coworker was so. just in Denmark for a film that she ended up being part of. That's a whole saga. You should ask her about it. The She took a picture of a, a mom in our parent in a gallery in um, Copenhagen. And the, the baby, like this small baby was on the floor uh, doing tummy time. And mom was just walking around and looking at the art and letting the baby be there. Uh, I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, again, like not siloing ourselves once we become parents, but like integrating our yeah. children into the things that we do, the ways that we live as adults. So before we wrap up, I, I we, we always like to ask a few questions of people um, just about their their life and different things. And so one of the things is uh, to take a step in a time machine, there. go back um, because as we've talked about, you obviously have, 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 have learned a lot over the, the years. Stepping back and to say, you know, right after you're, you're getting out of college and you're going to pursue, you know, your, your, the creative side of, of your life, what advice would you give yourself at that point in time? Probably to not assume, okay, <laughs> two things. Yes, assume you know nothing, but also assume you know more than you think. And mm. be okay with being publicly wrong that's something that i've struggled with like still working on i think i stopped myself from doing a lot of new things because i was afraid of people seeing that i didn't know i was really terrified uh up until very recently still very terrified of being really bad at something publicly something that i wanted and I think that that doesn't do any favors for learning new skills or being in new situations. Mm. I think I would have recognized my confidence. I would have, I would have had more confidence as a twenty-something actor. I mean, the thing is, like, I didn't. I think I had arrogance, not confidence. If that makes any sense, I, I didn't necessarily believe in myself, but I did foolish things anyway. Like, I, I stepped. Mm. I overreached I mean, and that helped in some ways, but I don't, I, I, it didn't, it wasn't real. 
Uh, it yeah. wasn't based on anything that I could build on. Have confidence in yourself, but also be humble enough to know that it's okay to be wrong um, in public, and that's mm -hmm. how you learn. If we were to go back to the time when you are having your kid, is there anything that you would advise you to give yourself then? Chill out. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to please anybody <laughs> with this. I feel like I ran around a lot, or rather than just soaking it in. And being mm. okay with maybe having a messy helps. Letting other people help. Uh, I think that's something that I've learned over the last five years. She's almost five. Um, mm. Let other people help you. <laughs> I try to do everything <laughs> myself because I'm like, I, I am an avid researcher. Like I said, I read a lot, trying to gather as much information as possible. And I think the flip side of that is that I think I know. <laughs> I think I know best. But other people can help. <laughs> they can help. Like, I don't have to do it all myself. And that's one of the things that as I'm about to have my second child, I am embracing and letting people help me. I think that's a good motto just for life in general. Uh -huh. Sometimes just letting people yep. help and accepting that you need it and it's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's been nice to say if somebody offers something and I'm like, yes, yes, I will take that. Thank you. <laughs> I will take that. Yeah, out. I have. I've been trying to be more more cognizant of that. Of like when offers and things happen, to be like trying to be like, yes, I will, I will do that. But it's because it's not easy. Because I think we've got some similarities yeah. there. Like, I can do it myself. I'm fine. I'm competent. Yeah. Competent. That's right. right. Somebody let me know I'm competent. <laughs> yeah. Last thing I sort of wanted to ask you is obviously you believe in the work that Springboard's doing. You believe in, you know, the professional development, the work of art program. Is there any advice or suggestions that you would have for folks who are, you know, just starting out in their, in their career, uh, you know, that sort of aligns with that, that work of art and that professional development? Side uh -huh. of Get familiar with the resources that are out there. Again, it took me way too long to access like the breadth of what Springboard does or understand it. Mm -hmm. And not that there's a Springboard everywhere, but I think, especially for artists of color, don't be afraid to get indoors that you might think that, well, I don't know anything about that space, so I'm afraid to go in there. Because the disparity I see in terms of professional development is often like that boldness to just go in and try anyway um, to access these things. And the artists of color, especially that I know have been successful at, like, they're like, don't be afraid to apply for that grant just because, or you get rejected, so what? Apply again. I think a lot of artists are like, if they don't get a yes immediately, they're like, oh, well then that, I can't, you know, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, well, you didn't get it because you didn't try again. And I know it's scary. I totally understand, but I think that it benefits you to go in and even if you're just sitting there and absorbing the information, to be in spaces that you think maybe you don't belong. Like, again, this maybe goes back mm. to that arrogance I had in my 20s. But I would take <laughs> the advanced class. I would take the advanced modern class because the teacher that was teaching it was something that I wanted to learn. And I made a fool of myself, I'm sure. But I learned a lot. And so uh, in that case, I would say be arrogant. <laughs> like, uh, show up in places where people don't expect you. Uh, and that that will only benefit you. Adi, before we go, anything else that you want to talk about or anything else that you want to just throw in? I mean, I mean, thank you. This is that. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. This is, I don't get to do this as often as I would like. Uh, so just talk generally and, and have this kind of peer to peer conversation. Uh, it's, it's really nice. Thank you. Kevin, what a lovely conversation with Adi. I just so enjoyed getting to know her and her journey and her work with Springboard and her work as a theater artist. Um, and in particular, I loved learning more about these work of art workshops when I was at Interlochen, quite frankly, like even though that is a high school program, I was of the same mindset, just always wondering, why aren't we teaching these high schoolers business skills as they move into college and then into professional careers? Just because like 
they were going to start getting gigs right away out of school, forming, you know, small theater companies, quartets, being asked to play, you know, for small events and that sort of thing. And I always felt like that was something that was lacking in their training that they were receiving there. So I'm really glad an organization like Springboard is taking the lead and preparing individual artists in particular with those skills so they can have greater success as they move through uh, their careers. Yeah, and going back to uh, the mission of the organization and figuring out what they're there to do, um, her example of using the donuts um, and talking about, are we selling the donuts? Are we giving them away for free? <laughs> I'm assuming that there's, um, you know, some kind of funding that's behind that, that's allowing them to give it away and, and you know, supporting her work and getting that together. As an organization, you do have to do some soul searching and figuring out what your mission is, you know, with that financial funding behind it, giving the recipe away for free really does feel like it's what I would think would be the right choice. Yeah, Daniel, that's one of the things that I love about that I mentioned that I, I love about the work of our program and what Springboard's doing, because they they did find that they did go out and search for those dollars to be able to make it free for artists. And you can buy a physical copy of the book like at a cost, um, but you can go directly to their website and download that and start working through it, um, which I will link in our show notes because, I mean, even for somebody who is a non-artist, um, there are some really incredible workshops in there to sort of help you envision what your, you know, life could be if you were doing like exactly what you would love to do. Just on that topic, I also love the fact that, yes, you can go and hear something for the Audible learners, but you also have that workbook. I love that workbook idea because just, you know, the type of learning I love to do is to hear it and then also write it. That'll really help them retain that. Something that both you and, and Adia mentioned was being an introvert, but then feeling at home on stage. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper because it, I, I just love the duality of it. Because you just can't relate. <laughs> no, I can't relate <laughs> at all. But it's very intriguing to me to, to, to see the, that duality play out for someone. I think for people who have been in shows with me, I think it's more interesting for them um, because they see the backstage freak out. They see like I, I start to get really sweaty and my they, my heart rate starts like starting to move up and up and I will start bouncing around. I'll start shaking my hands. I'll start doing all sorts of weird stuff. Um, and then uh, as soon as, you know, the curtain goes up or I step out on stage, like it's just into the show and i do completely fine like once that happens once the show starts um and i do that for just about everything that i have to do like when i have to give a presentation i do that i will never forget the first time i had to give a pre-show announcement uh, when i took my first job at the theater and i was backstage and i was literally dry heaving because i was so nervous to go out in front of this audience and the artist is there being like you're gonna do such a great job like you're gonna be so good yeah. <laughs> She and you also talked about the letdown afterwards and, and the, the depression after a show. And I, part of me wonders if that's due to putting so much energy into taking on something else and taking on a persona on stage and the culmination of all of it and then being and then just being completely exhausted afterwards. Or if it's part of a community that's created through the rehearsal process and everybody you're in, you're in the show with, and then the void of that after the show is over. Yeah. I, I can't speak for Adia on that one. Um, I don't really get the the depression part after a show or like the, the letdown um, because I've sort of in my mind, like you built the thing, like you've, you've put the thing out there and, and it is what it is. I do like after I have to do anything publicly, like I crash hard at the end of the night. Like I just like physically and mentally just drained. It's funny. I do feel that depression too, but it's like you said, the second part of what Josh said, it's about the community. You get so close to these people. You're like a family. And then knowing that, you know, you're all going to go and most likely in different directions. And it may be a while, if ever you see them or work in that kind of environment again. So I always kind of get in that slump right after the show too, when it ends, but it's not so much because of the show ending. It's, it's more of the, the family kind of breaking up. I also love the discussion that parenting and the demands of the jobs of the arts and the presence of bringing her child with her to things and the acceptance around that, which is beautiful. And I mean, I can speak for here at the theater. My daughter's here with me a lot and and everyone is comfortable with her um, the venue logistics coordinator here actually keeps popsicles in his in the freezer for her I, I love the openness and acceptance of bringing your kids with you into the arts uh, and i think there's a lot of value to 
to having them there and them understanding what you're doing and then themselves being connected to the arts in that way. Um, but it also speaks to um, the imbalance of the demands that are there and then having to actually bring your kid because you're so involved so often. Yeah. I feel like so much, you feel like you have to separate yourself or kind of hide the parent role um, whenever you're in some of these roles. And when she said she likes to make her child as visible as possible, you know, I, I mean, I love that because I think in any other aspect of life, of course, that's what you want to do, right? Like they're, they're the greatest thing that you've ever made. And it is one of the unique um, advantages that we have in this, in this industry. I feel like a lot of times we talk about the disadvantages, um, but like, giving your kid the opportunity to see backstage and to like meet the artists. And as they get older to be more helpful and, and to see how it all comes together is, is a really awesome experience for a kid to have. It's really unique. I was also blessed to have that kind of opportunity bringing my kids to work. When um, I was working in Colorado at the Rialto, my wife and four ch children were still living in Pennsylvania. And uh, one summer I got to bring my three older boys, because my daughter was just a baby at that time, um, out to Colorado to spend the summer with me. And I had nobody to watch them when I was working or anything. So I, I was able to bring them with me. I'd bring activities. I had a nice size office, at least with a nice table. And, you know, they would they would do crafts and play on their iPads and whatever. And any chance I had, we'd go and, you know, I'd have them do the rounds with me when we had shows. We had a summer camp. And then we also had an outdoor summer concert series, which was really awesome because they got to spend these beautiful evenings at the lagoon at the stage you know hearing all this awesome music but also to see me working and 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 do all that with me so it was a really incredible experience and I'm I'm grateful that I was allowed to do that I'd always thought about you know like balance as being like everything had to stay even like I had to balance everything and I love this idea of being like no no like things ebb and flow um sometimes like you have to focus heavily on one thing and so Ever since having this conversation, I have thought about that in, in my life. And it's, I think it's brought me a lot of peace and a bit more acceptance of those days where I do have to work late um, or the days where I have to cut out early because I need to, you know, take care of something in my personal life. And what was the reference to one of the things that you're juggling, like being glass? Yeah, where sometimes like, yeah, like you have to keep the glass ones in the air because if they hit the ground, they're going to break. But sometimes things change form. You know, sometimes your kids are glass and they need your attention right now, but sometimes they're rubber and they'll, they'll bounce back and be just fine. I want to thank Adia for being so transparent and so vulnerable in that conversation about the balancing and the, and the parenting and that sort of thing. Because frankly, like, we as parents are not given a lot of opportunity to talk about those challenges and it's going to be more important that we do so moving forward if we want things to change and we want things to shift and those shifts that we've seen coming out of the pandemic stick as a mother. And this is completely from my perspective and other parents may relate to this or not, but I try really hard to learn from generations before, right? And parents before. And you hear a lot, especially moms in the generation before us talking about how when their kids leave, go off to school or whatever, they suddenly don't have an identity. They have been so conditioned and society has told them for so long that you have to put 120% of everything into your children, into your family, that then they are left with nothing afterwards. Um, and they have to soul search and figure out who they, who are you in your career, in your relationship, in relation to your children, the rest of your family. Um, and so I have tried very hard as a, as a professional and as a mother to not let that happen, to be really cognizant of that. And so when she was talking about bringing her kid with her and balancing these identities, it was in incredibly meaningful to me because I have also tried to not hide who I am from my child right? He knows that this is the work that I do and how passionate I am about it. And I feel like my coworkers, my friends equally know how passionate I am about my family and raising the best child that I can. And yeah, dropping the glass ball. Uh, I, I love that metaphor as well. And it, it has caused me to think a lot. Can you somehow bring in cubicle farm? Because I love that term too. And I know Josh does too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, so an example of this is like, I, I had in a an event last week, we had teachers, a teacher event in the building and I had to be here late. So I went and picked up my son from school early, brought him uh, into work with me and we had to stay late and we were playing hide and seek in the cubicle farm, <laughs> right? In cubicle land in the back um, because 
what else are we going to do? Uh, so we were, nobody else was there and he found a little stuffed animal in someone's cube and we were running around and playing hide and seek and having a grand time. And that is just, um, and those are memories that he's going to cherish forever. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just part of what you have to do. And I think this idea of like being holistic in our, in our work-life balance, it was really meaningful and really, um, hit a chord for me. Because I can, I can see two realities, you know, one where that sticks and it is a lot more family friendly and kid friendly and people understand and are totally okay with us continuing to bring kids to work with us when, when need be and that sort of thing, or shifting back where you had to split yourself in two and hide. And I think our industry is in general more kid friendly. And I don't know that we fall into a lot of the same traps as other industries where like women in particular have to hide the fact that they have children. There's no photos of your kids on your desk. You're worried about how it's going to impact your wages or your, you know, ability to get promoted or move forward in your career. I don't think that's as prevalent with us, but I can see a shift backwards um, potentially happening as staffs keep getting smaller and smaller and not as many resources are put in and things like that. And you have to work twice as hard to make the same thing happen. So I'm really hoping that we can continue to have those transparent conversations and um, ones like this today just help people, empower people to talk about it in their own workplaces. Thank you all for sharing so much today. And I'm glad you enjoyed this conversation with Adia. And thank you to Adia for being so open and transparent and just telling us about her journey. Uh, And we'll be back here in another week with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vanho. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? (laughs) I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus I-ness every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. And as always, I'm joined with my friends and fellow pod squad, Brian. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Great. How about you, Danielle? I'm doing okay. I, you ask me a question and jump on. You don't really care, do you? <laughs> I don't. I don't. You ask me and I'm well, just honest, like, you know what? Okay. Move it past it. And Danielle. <laughs> hey, it's Danielle Van Hook. Um... And Josh. <laughs> do we want to do that again? Because Danielle didn't even get to do her full intro. <laughs> she had the opportunity. I don't know why I, we gave I her the where I was from. <laughs> All right. Like, I, I can start I that am. over. I'm just going to do the exact same thing again. Here. I'm Danielle Van Hook. No. That's that not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Kevin Maynard from Quad City Arts. And as always, I'm joined with my friends, uh, Danielle. Hey, Danielle Van Hook from the Alton in McLean, Virginia. And Brian. (laughs) We lost Kevin to the giggles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saving my good bits for now. That didn't sound dirty at all. I was going to say, like, out of context, very different statement. That's going in the out. (laughs) Yeah, it is.